Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you are doing in the lives of men and women this morning, for what you're doing in our lives each day, even when we don't see or don't recognize or ignore it or whatever it may be, Lord, we we pray and we believe that you are moving and that you are calling us to deeper places with you, that you're calling us to deeper places of healing and wholeness in our lives. And uh, God, we pray that you would continue to do that today as we hear from your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen? About six years ago, uh, some folks from our church in Vancouver uh, decided to join a local soccer league. And uh, I played soccer when I was in high school, and it had been many years since I had played, and so I was really excited to get to play again. We were playing in our fifth or sixth game of the season, and I was at midfield uh, fighting over a ball with, uh, with one of the uh, players on the other team, and he, uh, I was facing this direction, and he kind of poked the ball over to this direction, and I turned like this, just like that, and the pain that I felt in my heel at that moment was as if a madman carrying a baseball bat had come onto the field and just hit the back of my heel as hard as he could. That's what it felt like. And so I fell to the ground and I assumed that somebody had just kicked me as hard as they could in the back of my leg. And I called foul, you know, somebody had, had fouled me. And so I, I turned around and there was no one there. So what had actually happened is that I had ruptured my Achilles tendon. And I went to the hospital, and sure enough, my Achilles tendon, that really thick tendon connecting, you know, your foot to the rest of your leg, um, it had snapped in two. And 24 hours later, I was in surgery to get it repaired. And as you could imagine, I couldn't walk for a while. Um, I couldn't put any weight on my, on my foot for a week or so, I, not just that I should, and the doctor was saying, you know, don't put any weight on, I couldn't put any weight on my foot, and for those couple weeks, because of my injury, I was really grateful to have crutches. Without the crutches, I would not have been able to get around at all. Because of my weakness, the crutches were a good thing, and I had to admit in that moment that I needed the crutches, right? What if I would have been so proud to say, I don't need these crutches? I'd, I'd have laid in bed for a couple weeks because I couldn't put any weight on my foot. The crutches were a good thing. This morning, we are looking at the first of Jesus's Beatitudes, these statements about the truly blessed, the truly happy, the truly content life. And the very first of these beatitudes that Jesus gives to us, and it's important that this is the first one that Jesus gives to us, Um, over the next eight weeks or so, we're going to kind of hop around a little bit and look at the beatitudes in a different order, but it's important that this is the first one. The first of the beatitudes is this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. One of the criticisms that people lob at religion and about Christianity in particular is that faith is just a crutch. A crutch that weak people need. 
Faith is a support that people use, you know, to, to get through life because they just can't handle it and they're not strong enough. But, you know, those of us who are strong enough, who are smart enough, who have enough money to keep us safe, you know, we don't need a crutch. We can make it on our own. Well, Jesus came and said that those who are well do not need a doctor. The only people who need a doctor are those who are sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Faith in Christ is a crutch. And it's a crutch that I know that I need. I am weak, I am poor and needy, I am small. I remember when I was 12 years old, looking up at the stars at a church camp in Southern California, and looking up at these stars and realizing how small I was. In my life, throughout my life, I have tried hard to do the things that I want to do, but find that I cannot do them, and instead I find myself doing the things that I hate. I know that my life here on this earth is a blink in light of eternity. I am weak, and I am small, and I am limited. So praise God, as Romans 5 says, that while we were still weak, God died for the ungodly. Faith in Jesus Christ is a crutch, and that is good news for the crippled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Being poor in spirit is not a a personality trait. Being poor in spirit is not having low self-esteem. It's not beating yourself up all the time and telling yourself that you're never good enough. Being poor in spirit is not the same thing as being materially poor, about not having very much money. Although it is true that those who are materially poor do have at least one less obstacle to overcome in order to be poor in spirit. Because those of us who have money are tempted to believe that that is one more thing that we can use to take care of ourselves. Being poor in spirit is also not false humility, pretending like you have nothing to offer. Instead, being poor in spirit is knowing that you are in desperate need of God and the grace and mercy that he offers to anyone who will confess their need for him. Being poor in spirit is knowing that you are in desperate need of God and the grace and mercy that he offers to anyone who will confess their need of him. Because the truth is, everyone is weak. Everyone is crippled in one way or another. Everyone needs God, but not everyone knows it, or at least not everyone admits it. And being poor in spirit is knowing and admitting that we need God and turning to him. I mentioned last week that the reason that we are going through the Beatitudes right now is because God is leading our church to be a a host church for Celebrate Recovery. And so beginning in February, God willing, every Tuesday night we'll be hosting a Celebrate Recovery meeting Well, there'll be dozens of men and women here from all over the city who are coming to address their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups. And these are all people who are coming because they are poor in spirit, because they know that they need some help. 
And Celebrate Recovery makes use of the 12 steps of the Alcoholics Anonymous in their own curriculum. And in addition to that, they also draw on the wisdom of Jesus' Beatitudes, and they make some parallels between the 12 steps of AA and the Beatitudes. And the parallels between the first step of the 12 steps of AA and the first Beatitude are very clear. The first step in AA is what? To admit that you are powerless over your addictions and compulsive behaviors and that your life has become unmanageable. In other words, the first step is admit that you have a problem. That is an expression of being poor in spirit. Admitting our own powerlessness. Admitting that because of our sinful nature that we find ourselves doing the very things that we hate. We find that there's something that we want to do, but we just simply can't do it. And the opposite of being poor in spirit then is saying, I can handle it. I can hold my life in my hands. I can take care of my sin. I can manage my addictions. I can manage my own behavior. As I said earlier, it's not an accident that poor in spirit is the first of the Beatitudes. Because this being poor in spirit is really the doorway into the other Beatitudes. It's really a doorway into obedience to all of Jesus' teachings on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's really the doorway into understanding and truly receiving the gospel of Jesus. Now, last week I mentioned that 2017, 2017 is the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, or at least 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door because the, the kindling for the Reformation had been laying in place for a long time, and he really just set the spark that set it ablaze. One of the great recoveries of the Reformation 500 years ago, and one that we need to be very grateful for, and in fact, one even recently that the Pope has recently expressed gratitude for, is this biblical truth that the Reformation recovered that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And that our salvation does not come in any way from any work that we do for God. That our salvation is by grace alone. It is his work, not ours, that saves us. It is God's holiness that is given to us, that is placed on us. It is not our own holiness or righteousness. And no matter how long we walk with Jesus, I find, I find myself... When I'm talking with people and counseling with people, I find us over and over again, us good Protestants, 500 years later, forgetting that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. And it comes out in all sorts of ways where we think that, you know, God is this God who is standing before the scales of our life. And he's weighing out the bad, and he's weighing out the good. And if it tips towards the good in any way, then we're good to go. But if it tips toward the bad, well, too bad. And that's not the way it works. Amen? This past Christmas, there was a church in town. I just could not believe this. A church in town that on their sign outside their church, their marquee, 
It said, God's making a list and checking it twice. How awful. I was really proud of my daughter, Gloria. We drove by it. We drove by it, and she read it out loud. And with not a little bit of disgust in her voice, she said, that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, not by works, so that no one may boast before God. And this is where... Our lives with God begin. If we're ever going to be obedient, if we're ever going to do good works that give glory to God, we must begin with this understanding that we can do nothing without God. An example of this is in Philippians chapter 2. And I just want to read, um, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. And in this passage, uh, Paul talks about himself. And I think he does a... Great job for us. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3, of expressing what it means to be poor in spirit. Because as we read through this this passage, we see that, that Paul is not here expressing false humility, pretending as if he doesn't have anything to offer. He's very clear about his life and about who he is. But he takes those things about who he is and he compares them to God and to about who he is in Christ. There's no comparison. Philippians chapter 3, going to begin reading in the middle of verse 4. Paul says this. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ." What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ, and to be found in him, to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Again, Paul doesn't express any kind of false humility here. He doesn't pretend that he doesn't have anything to offer to the world. And in fact, he says, I know who I am. I know the strengths that I have. I know what I know. I know my heritage. I know even the power and the influence that I have in the world because of those things. But in the presence of God and in comparison to the worth of having Jesus, all of those qualities, all of those skills, my heritage, they are nothing. In fact, they are worse than nothing. They are a pile of rubbish. And according to Greek scholars, rubbish is far too gentle a word. You can fill in the blank in whatever way you think that I mean there. 
The reason that they are worse, the reason that it is worse than nothing is because these things that Paul would have been tempted to place his hope and his trust and his value in, we all have those things too in our lives. Things that we put our hope and our trust and find our identity in. And if we do that, those things aren't just nothing. They then get in the way of us coming to Christ and receiving what he has for us. But what we also see in Paul's life, in his ministry, in his letters, is that he, as he entered into his life with Christ with this attitude, this attitude of being poor in spirit, and that nothing compares to knowing Christ and the righteousness that he offers, what did God do with Paul's background and his skill and his personality? He built the church. Through Paul and through his work, did God make good use of Paul's religious background? You bet he did. He had access to all of the synagogues and respect among the teachers of the law. Did God make good use of Paul's education as a Pharisee? You bet he did. You read that in his letters, his education in the Jewish Torah was what made him such a great teacher for both Jews and for Greeks. He was able to connect the the story of the Torah and the story of the Jewish people with God's eternal and global plan. Did God make God good use of Paul's zeal? (laughs) You bet he did. God took Paul's zeal, which had previously been used to persecute the church, and he took that zeal and he used it to build up the church. Paul's attitude of being poor in spirit, of recognizing that anything that he possessed was worthless without Christ, is what made it possible for Christ to then possess him and use him. And so the Sermon on the Mount begins, Jesus' entire teaching about obedience to him and about faithfulness to the values of the kingdom of God, this whole sermon begins by reminding us that if we are going to be faithful at all, If we are going to find any success at all in our obedience to Christ, then we must first begin by admitting that by ourselves we can't do it at all. All of our natural abilities, our personality, our natural gifts and talent, the money that we earn with our hard work, all of these things can and will be used by God, but only if they are truly offered to God first. To receive them as if they were gifts from his hand, because they are. And only if they are seen for that, what they truly are, not as things that we possess, but things that have been given to us by him, that he will then be able to use them for his glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a crutch for the weak. And those that think that they are rich in spirit, those who think that they can make it on their own, those who think that their money is what makes them safe and secure, those who think that their talent and their ability is what's going to make them happy and successful, those are people who cannot receive the kingdom of God. They cannot receive it because it's a gift and their hands are just too full. Those who know the gospel have received the gospel because they know they are weak. They know they are lame and crippled in all sorts of ways. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the only crutch 
is the only crutch that they have found or that anyone else could find that can bear the weight of our spiritual and our eternal brokenness and hurt. So, blessed are the poor in spirit is first. It's the clear knowledge of who we are, that we are weak and in need of God. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no one may boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom for God, from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, every culture... Every culture poses certain challenges to faithfulness to Christ, and ours is no different. There are many things in the culture and the world around us that keep us from faithfulness and keep us from living according to the Beatitudes that Jesus gives to us here. And so each week, I'm going to do my best to try to name a particular characteristic of our culture that makes it hard for us to live according to whatever Beatitude we're talking about. And so I'm doing this very intentionally, I think for myself, because I want us at Broadway to be uh, good listeners to the culture around us. We need to be able to pay attention and to, to hear what people are saying so that we can speak to them. And so also recognize and understand the way that our own culture is influencing us so that we can respond to that and to reject anything that's influencing us in a way that's keeping us from Christ. So what is it about our culture that makes it a challenge to live as someone who is poor in spirit? It's probably many things that I could say, but I want to say this this morning. I think it's that our culture's great emphasis and confidence in the self. Self-help, self-reliance, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-expression, iPhone iPad, iPod. And whenever our wider culture talks about believing, what are you supposed to believe in? Believe in yourself. The hero in our culture is that young poor man who pulls himself up by his own bootstraps and becomes financially independent. Now, taken in the proper perspective, none of these things are necessarily bad things, but the emphasis on the self and the confidence in the self leaves God out of the picture altogether and produces people who are either so proud of their own accomplishments that they cannot be poor in spirit, or on the other hand, so ashamed of their, of their failures that they have no spirit at all. So our culture's emphasis on the self and the power of the individual make it difficult for us to live lives as people who are poor in spirit because we are told that the only way to be a success is to trust and to believe in yourself. And to be poor in spirit would simply to admit failure. The only kind of culture that would believe that a crutch is a bad thing 
Whoever would think that a crutch is a bad thing? The only kind of culture who believe that a crutch is a bad thing is a culture that believes that the individual should be so strong that they need no help whatsoever. So as followers of Jesus, how do we pursue living as people who are poor in spirit? I think the first thing that we need to admit is that living according to the Beatitudes, all of them, all eight of them, is really a countercultural thing, and that living according to them almost never feels good. Have you ever had to be merciful to someone? Like truly merciful. They did something to you, and you were called to be merciful. You wanted and even deserved justice, but you were called to be merciful. Has you ever had to do that? That is not easy. It doesn't feel good to do it. Have you ever had to be a peacemaker? What's that like? Getting in between two people who are not getting along with one another. It's not fun, and it doesn't turn out well for you usually. It's possible that both of them are going to end up not liking you if it doesn't turn out well. Being persecuted, being meek, mourning, none of these things feel good. And not only do they not feel good, but they don't come naturally. They're not things that we just naturally pursue. And so if we're going to live our lives according to the Beatitudes, if we're going to live according to the values that Jesus teaches about in these Beatitudes, this is going to need to be a supernatural work in us, a work that the Holy Spirit does in us. We don't simply try harder to take on these qualities described here in the Beatitudes. This is a work that God does in us. They are supernatural. They are cultivated in us by the Holy Spirit. But as in all of Christian life, that doesn't mean that there's nothing that we can do to put ourselves into a position for the Holy Spirit to do that work. If you are sick, you take yourself to the doctor. You can't heal yourself, but you go to the one who can, right? And so how do we come to God and ask him to do this supernatural work in us? There's a few things that I want to say today. I think the first is this. The first is that we take the first step that we've heard about in Celebrate Recovery. Admit that you are powerless to overcome your own sin. That you are powerless in and of yourself to accomplish any good and eternal thing and to turn to the one who is able. To remember that the one who is now in you is greater than the one that is he that is in the world. To remember that while in our own selves we do not have the power to overcome our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups, that God has given us himself. He has given us his power and his authority in our lives, and we have one who is in us who has already overcome the world in our sin. The first step in receiving his power is this confession. This confession is saying, I'm not good enough yet. I'm not there, God. I need you. I am weak and you are strong. Without your cross and without your resurrection, I am helpless and I am stuck in my sin. But in you and through you, I and my brothers and sisters in Christ are more than conquerors. So that is the first step to allow God to do this supernatural work to form us 
to be people who are poor in spirit. And the second thing that we must do is to be a people of prayer. Prayer is the practice that admits that we're not strong enough, right? When we come to God in prayer, we are admitting to him that we need him. So I want to suggest to you that your prayer life is the barometer of whether or not you are poor in spirit. And your lack of prayer is an expression of your independence and your pride. It's a reflection that you are a product of your self-glorifying culture. And I speak those words to myself before I speak to them to anyone else. Your lack of prayer is an expression of your independence and your pride, and it shows that you are a product of your self-glorifying culture. Some members of the prayer team came to me a couple months back and uh, says that they believe that we as a church were being called to, to 40 days of prayer and fasting. In your bulletin today is a prayer guide for this week. Now, when they came to me, um, I hadn't yet known that I was going to be um, preaching on the Beatitudes or anything like that, but they really, the Beatitudes and the characteristics and values and qualities that the Beatitudes express, um, I think, go along really well with our church committing now to 40 days of prayer and fasting. And Each week, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be a topic for prayer. And so week one, the topic for prayer is reconciliation. And throughout um, these 40 days of prayer and fasting, we're going to be talking about specific topics that we see in our culture that we know that we need to pray about. Recognizing that we, in and of ourselves, the church as a human institution, can't do anything to change all of these things, but that God can And so we are coming to him in prayer and asking him to deal with areas of reconciliation this week. And each day, uh, there is a scripture verse for you to meditate on and to pray about. And then there's going to be things for you to pray against in our culture, as well as the things to pray for. And uh, the reason we came up with that is there's that story where where Jesus says that uh, if there's a a man who's demon-possessed and... You pray the demon out of the man, that you have to make sure that something fills it back up, right? Because if it doesn't fill up, then that man's going to be worse off later than he is. He's just going to be empty, and he's going to be filled himself up with other demonic forces, demonic things. And so we're praying against things in our culture. We're asking that God would set our culture free from things, and also praying for things, that God would fill our culture and our society with certain things. So, um, This week is reconciliation, and so I would encourage you to daily spend some time together with us as the body of Christ here at Broadway to pray about these things. In addition to your own daily prayers, uh, we're going to be uh, opening the church doors uh, two times a week, once on Wednesday at 7 o'clock and once on Saturday mornings at 9.30. And uh, there'll be a, a leader from one of the prayer ministries that will be in the deck room and uh, we'll be gathering together to lead us through the prayers um, about the topic that week. So Wednesdays at 7, Saturdays at 9.30. And this is an expression of us here at Broadway uh, that we are seeking to be people who are poor in spirit. 
recognizing that we are, if we're going to have uh, any impact on our culture, that it's going to have to be a work that God does in and through us. Friends, if we're going to be people who are, who are poor in spirit, we have to be people who confess. Confess that we are not strong enough. This morning we already saw brothers and sisters from our body come forward, and in their coming forward and kneeling down was an expression of being poor in spirit. So this morning, if there is anything in your own life, uh, worship team, come on forward. If there's anything in your own life that, that you need to come forward and to pray about, we invite you today to do that. Uh, you certainly can come forward. If you'd like for an elder to come and pray with you, come to this side. If you would like to pray on your own, uh, feel free to come this side. And certainly in your own life, as, as we're singing, be asking the Lord, what is it in my life? What is the ways that I've been perhaps influenced by the culture around me? What is it in my own life that is keeping me from truly surrendering myself to you? That I'm wanting to hold on and to be strong enough in my own life. I would encourage you to release that to our Lord. Confess that you need him. Our God in heaven, we thank you that you did not come. You did not come in order to heal those who are already well and who think that they're already good enough. Lord, but that you come to those who know that they are weak and lame and crippled and poor. And so we come today as your people, thanking you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanking you for the good news that it is for us crippled people. Amen.